What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, much like lessons in chemistry, he's got that dog in him! It's Andy Greenwald! Bark, bark, buddy. What's up, man? How are you? It's good to see you. It's Monday. We are going to talk a little bit about the third episode of Lessons in Chemistry. We're going to talk about Loki, but we've, we've got a wide-ranging discussion. This could be a 25-minute podcast, honestly. Or two hours, 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah. To quote the brother of Taylor Swift's boyfriend, uh, hungry dogs run faster. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is do. relevant to our sports fandom, as well as our favorite do television show. Do you think that show. they do? Hungry dogs? Yeah. Do they run faster? I mean, do you I, think Jason Kelsey mm-hmm. stress-tested that theory? I have a couple thoughts here. None of them are interesting. Um, grew up with cats, so not a lot of like like hand to paw. I did have a greyhound though. You did briefly, yeah. yeah. That was a memorable time seeing you walk <laughs> that fine stallion <laughs> throughout Park Slope. Um, I did, however, in middle school, read the Jack London book Call of the Wild, yeah, yeah, and yeah. my memory of that is that hungry dogs, if you will, die quick. Isn't that a wolf though? Yeah, but you know, my younger daughter has a book that we all love called From Wolf to Woof. The Evolution of Dogs. <laughs> it's about... And it's about the 2018 Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> Super Bowl. Anyway, I don't know. How do you feel? Do you think when you're hungrier... Do, do I run faster? Towards uh, the protein pack at Starbucks. Uh, I, I, I mean, I really am having a pretty weird relationship with, with food oh in Los Angeles right now. I don't know if you want to talk about it. 
but I, I'm like in a real depressive state when it comes to to what I what I want to put in my body. Well, we, from this city, one of our most cherished takes at the moment is that most restaurants are bad. Actually, that's we we've been working that one out in private. But are you saying even more than like dining out, you're having trouble? I can't with your... decide what to eat. I oh. just can't decide what to eat. Okay, you know, like I just like do I just get Jersey Mike's every day? Like should I just be do that? No, I'm going to answer that one. No. <laughs> do you want to why don't you just direct these questions to me? We have a chat window open 24/7. I cuz I find that if I'm not talking about the emotional stability of Jalen Hurts, you're only 50/50 <laughs> interested. Andy, today I wanted to ask you a quick question before we got into our show breakdowns and okay. it comes from mm-hmm. the what I'm hearing newsletter from Matt Bellany. Uh-huh. I'm definitely just rating Matt here for content, although this was just a throwaway line in what is a great newsletter. Okay. And you can listen to Matt, obviously, on the Town Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. He's a must-read for me and Andy. Um, And Matt had this bit at the top of his his newsletter. He was talking about Netflix getting separation from the rest of the streamers, that Netflix was essentially like kind of like leaving everybody in the rearview mirror. Kind of like Tyreek Hill. Well, that there was this great, there was the great correction, right? Like that mm-hmm. Netflix was like suffering and and kind of the bill was due and they- Sure, like, because they, they, there was, they didn't meet their uh, target yeah. one quarter and their stock Earlier in the and, year, I feel like this mm-hmm. was, and you know, like the strikes I think were, whether the strikes were negatively impacting Netflix, I mean, they still are in terms of like, I think Stranger Things will miss its, its window yes, and stuff sure. like that. But Matt just had this random line in this piece that I wanted to throw at you. He said, what is Beckon or Lupin if they dropped on Peacock or Apple TV Plus? And he goes, mm-hmm. niche. On Netflix, they get seen. They get currency. People go there looking for something new to watch. Why do you think that is? Is well, it just the ubiquity? Yeah, but also look at Suits. Suits, I believe, was on Peacock, right? I mean, it's a USA show. It then ended its run on Peacock and went to Netflix and is the most popular show of 2023. Yeah. Yes, I think that it is... There's a reason why smart, plugged-in people like Matt pay attention and and Lucas Shaw and other people who are more uh, schooled in the ways of business than we are pay attention to things like stock prices and shareholder expectations and et cetera, et cetera. That actually is speaking to the overall health of a business. But I do think it matters, perhaps in a less tangible way, that Netflix, for the majority of people of a certain generation, a generation that um, is now learning to pay their own membership fees to Netflix. yeah. Netflix is a word like Kleenex. It is the brand has become the thing. And I think it does matter. I think that if you polled people what their hierarchy of, when they sit down in front of their television set to Mm -hmm. do the interminable relationship straining scroll through your various streaming services, um, could you hear the pain in my voice? Um, (laughs) No, maybe I I promise the good stuff's on Paramount Plus. (laughs) We're trying. I know. Um, Backish, man. Come on. CTC. Um, the ubiquity of Netflix means that I think it is still the first place people look for something new. Yeah. I just, I simply think that's the case. And I think that he's really right to single out those two shows. And maybe the flip side of it is our own experience recently where we feel, and I've talked to a few people, just obviously small sample size about the gold. And there, I think the people I speak to can be divided into two categories. One, I've never heard of it. Right. And thus, how dare you? I thought you were my friend and listened to my podcast. Or two, what a great show that absolutely doesn't matter in the conversation. And put the gold on Netflix. Is that different? Maybe. Yeah, I think. To a degree. There's a third person, and that person says, did you know there are two Englands? 
Yes. Um, that may be our new listener, Neil Forsythe. <laughs> that's right. Who, 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 who took umbrage in a tweet with our accent. I work. think he was, he was, he was, first of all, he was with me. Because I'm the we, one who's... We both did some accents. I shade Australian when I do accent work. I don't know why. Um, I thought you shaded Irish. You, anyway, we appreciated Neil listening and uh, gently roasting us. You mentioned the small sample size. We have the smallest of sample sizes here. Because when I when mm-hmm. you were outside of the studio for a minute, I asked Kaya what she did this weekend, and she mentioned watching No Hard Feelings, the raunchy Jennifer Lawrence comedy uh, from earlier this year, which did a run in theaters, mm-hmm. did fine, okay, underperformed, I guess, yeah. uh, then was on Peacock for a period of time. I think it was VOD, then it was on Peacock, and now it's on Netflix. I believe that was the trajectory of it. I'm not looking to Kaya to verify this, but what I am looking to Kaya for mm-hmm. is to ask her, why is it after, what, eight, six, seven months of No Hard Feelings being in existence, was Netflix the reason you pulled mm-hmm. the trigger on watching this? First of all, I did not know it was on Peacock. As well, I stated the here previously, fan. I'm number one Peacock subscriber. <laughs> and I, if I tier. had known if it, it that it was on there, then I probably would have watched it on there. But I saw, I just saw like I don't know tweets, tweets. saying that it was going to be on Netflix this weekend, and I was like, you know what? Why not? I have Netflix. Yeah. I do have Netflix. I have my own account now. She too, sure does. So I have to make use of it. Can I also say for people who who are not watching this, watching this podcast on video, which is all of you, uh huh. Remember last night in the Eagles-Dolphins game, which I'm determined to make us talk about one way or another, when they snapped the ball to, to Tua mm-hmm. on the uh, losing team, the Dolphins, and he just he dropped it, but then almost like a machine just immediately picked it up and threw it and completed the pass? Mm-hmm. That's what Kaya just did, because you were setting her up to join in to the podcast for quite some time. Yeah. And she was doing her work. She's taking notes. She did not flinch until the last possible second to lean over and turn on her mic. Well, that's because I surprised her with the peacock thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I was like a I was like a blindside blitz coming at her. <laughs> you were you were Hassan Reddick in this? Was, no, I was a peacock. <laughs> um, great, great stuff. I, I'm fascinated by this conversation topic because, mm-hmm. I, as you know, I'm a UX guy. I've always, always wanted to talk been. about the user experience of these different platforms. I don't know that Netflix is that much more user friendly than. Well, I do know that it's more user friendly than a lot it's of these. It's more user friendly, but I mean, is it anywhere near what Amazon Prime is dealing? I don't know. You know, you mean in terms of the UX? Yes, <laughs> I think I speak for everyone. I but yes. I, I am very. It's like the two the, the the suggestion that Matt makes, which is like Beckham and Lupin are somewhat buoyed by just being on Netflix. And what would they be? I could totally see Beckham being on Apple TV Plus, just like the messy doc is. Yes, and the messy doc has largely been dismissed. You know, as kind of dull. And now part of that might be that Messi doesn't have as sensational an off field story as Beckham. Right. Uh, he also, it, he's not a beekeeper. He's also still playing mm-hmm. and is like actively still trying to sort of manage his career. He's not a beekeeper. He's not grilling a single mushroom to get the perfect flavor. Uh, and Lupin is a great, great example of uh, something that Netflix has kind of cornered the market on, which is the international genre show like phenomenon. You know, like these, whether it's Squid Game, whether it's Dark, whether it's Lupin, like distributing. TV from all over the world and kind of shooting it through that Netflix mm-hmm. lens so that people kind of give things a chance that they ordinarily wouldn't. Look, it, it, it's you can see it across the board. Um, our friends at the Home Box Office Corporation have been licensing content to Netflix again yep. and seeing... And in at, as soon as that happens, I feel like I anecdotally start seeing like tweets about Insecure or tweets yes. about Band of Brothers. Now, part of it is like, I, I do think part of it is like the McRib phenomenon, which is like, oh, it's back. 
sure. in the sense that like it feels you it's you were it being in a different place where you're not looking for but it is I, surprising. But friends I would get venture to guess yeah. to say that friends and the office did better on Netflix than they did There's on a, Peacock and Max. There is no doubt that they And part did. of that might be because people watched them like three times during the pandemic and then finally they went to another service and they were like, yeah, I just watched Friends twice. Partly. I, I also think you could, if you worked at um, Peacock or Max, you would say, well, it, they matter more to us because we don't have other things to, to use your word, to buoy our larger yeah. content offering. But yeah, Netflix is still the one. I mean, it's still number one and it, people interact with it differently. They binge it differently. They they consider it to be part of the conversation differently because it is still, I think, the one that everybody has, you know? And um, we talk about the conversation coming out of the summer is like, well, what? how are these other services going to get their version of Suits? Well, some of them have Suits. Some of them had Suits, yeah. Or versions of yeah, Suits was, already. Was it Suits on Hulu or on Peacock? It was, I am sure it was on Peacock at some point and may may well be again when it reverts. But like... It might still be... <laughs> it, it, it might still be is the greatest point. It's not just suits. It suits with Netflix's reach is yeah. the thing that makes the difference. And I think the Beckham point is really well made too because Beckham, I don't even need to say this is anecdotally. Like I think it's pretty clear that it is a cultural and popular program, mm -hmm. not just a well-made and interesting soccer doc. Yes. And I, you are you are correct to say that there is the tabloid angle to it and the, the just the decades of fame that maybe allow it to have more market penetration or whatever. But my, my, I learned about the Beckham documentary when we were sitting outside of the studio here and we saw our friend Amanda Dobbins and she was asking you about the treble. Yep. And as we've said before, when we were talking about it last week, I don't think she's by nature a Premier League fan. No, I mean, they definitely crossed over. I also think that that phenomenon of word of mouth, which can happen for the gold and it can happen for um, telemarketers and it can happen for so many shows mm -hmm. but somebody says to somebody were you watching anything good these days and somebody's like yeah you know what you gotta see is the gold and then like oh and then like, I don't have Paramount Plus and I'm not gonna sign up for Paramount Plus because times are tight I'm yep. like whatever I'm not gonna go get another yep Starts out at $4 a month, and now all of a sudden it's $15 a month somehow. Especially because yeah. Yellowstone Season 2 is hitting CBS. That's right. And if, if it's a Netflix show, if mm -hmm. I say to you, hey, like a bunch of people are talking about Bodies, which is a show I've checked out over Have you the checked weekend. it? I was yeah. heard I got to check that one out. Yeah, it was. it's cool. It's very cool. That has um, our guy in it, Stephen Graham, right? It does have Stephen Graham in it. And I find that I watch, I'm currently, I like in the last couple of weeks, Bodies, Beckham, I watched Love is Blind with my wife. Um, on an obscenely fast speed, actually, because you know you can turn the you can no. turn the dial up. Uh, let's just say I'm not watching Love Is Blind for the dialogue. You can watch it at like the 1. way some 5. people listen to podcasts. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's depressing. Well, we just get to Kai. Do you watch Love Is Blind? Uh, I've watched past seasons, but I haven't watched this most recent season. I, this is the first season I watched. Love. Uh, mm. Yeah. I've heard this season's not very, a, very good. I don't think a lot of people made it to the altar compared to other seasons. Yeah. I actually don't even know what it's about. Do you want me to tell you? I think I can. I get it. <laughs> it's cool. Is that, that's not the naked one, though. No, that's naked attraction. Cool. Yeah. There's one where it's like, there's an English one that's like, it. that's like, I don't think you can put that on TV. It's called Bits and Knobs or it something? It basically is. And it's like from the, it's like waist down, you know? Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, my point being is that the the word of mouth thing works very well for Netflix because if it has that ubiquity, mm -hmm. you can just be like, oh, you know what you might like is like this this Nordic Nordic crime show. So 
let me ask, let me turn this around and ask you a question then. If you were, and you may one day be, programming Max and Peacock and Paramount Plus. I would be in charge one, if, of all one, three one, of Let's say you had one of those <laughs> okay, esteemed yeah. jobs. Yeah. What is the proper play? Because what I mean is, let's look at the Peacock thing, for example. Peacock has a fairly robust library due to just the NBC Universal stuff that's already in its catalog. Office, um, I think 30 Rock is on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Netflix. I, the point is, they have a lot of shows that we have loved and liked in the past. As Kaya will attest, they have the Bravo library, which, mm-hmm. which does drive viewership. And then how do they stand out? Now, let's take away for a second the, just the financial uh, disparity between them and, say, Apple or even Netflix. But is the correct play investing as much money as they are able to in flashy shows in the same way, like basically taking the AMC 15 years ago playbook and being like, we will say yes to the shows these other places won't, and we may strike gold, or at least we will draw attention. And that would be the case for Mrs. Davis or Poker Face, which they outbid a lot of other places for. Is the move to do that? uh, Or is the move to just sort of settle back in the other direction and say, we will continue to steadily provide your suits, your Tina Fey comedies or whatever else and try to like stay at a simmer. Do you know what I mean? Because my point is, yeah. if, if Netflix is getting the flashiest things and getting the eyeballs for it anyway, and it's able to elevate its catalog more than anyone, what is the correct way to defend against it or to go on the offensive if you're an underdog? Well, part of it is playing the IP wars, right? So you probably have whatever company you are, you have like... You know, it's for instance, Paramount going back through its its sort of uh, archives and saying, what can we do with Fatal Attraction and what can we do with this and what can we do with Grease, that? Rise of the Pink Ladies. Exactly. That didn't work. I think that generally speaking, for the most part, like people are getting pretty fatigued with here is here is like this new coat of paint on an old house. We mm-hmm. thought you loved this old house. And it turns out people are like, I actually want to get new stuff. And I still live in that house. And actually... I, I'm just looking at like my Netflix front page here. I don't mm-hmm. really see revarnished IP here. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's either like they they do a really good job buying and then featuring old movies. And you'll often see that where it's like all of a sudden the number two movie on Netflix is some, you know, some action film from 2005 or like Pitch Black or something well, like that. That's the modern day equivalent of channel flipping yeah. and finding something that you haven't seen in right. a while halfway but through. But that's that's indicative of me to people using Netflix as TV, like you said before, I, the Kleenex thing. As far as the other as the other ones go, I, I don't know what those streamers do because one of the other things that Netflix does is it just seems like you never get to the bottom of Netflix. And you never you never finish I have so many things saved on my list on Netflix. If like if TV stopped tomorrow, mm-hmm. I would have stuff to watch probably deep into next year. Just going through like shows that I I always meant to watch on Netflix, and I'm sure that the other net, other streamers have a bunch of stuff I want to see. But there's something about like it just seems like an unending amount. Because Does, doesn't it sometimes feel like respectfully like when you look at Peacock, you're like, there's like two things I want to see on here. And if I and if I was a different kind of person, maybe I'd be like, every night I'm going to fall asleep to Columbo. But like, I don't, you know. Right. Or there are people who rewatch Top Chef or whatever. I mean, right. I, I love having it for Top Chef, but I don't really go backwards. Right. I think there was an interesting point in what you just said, which is over the last few years, as Disney entered into the streaming marketplace, but also as um, when Paramount and these other places were starting up, and we were 
getting all the headlines about all this great IP that was being mm-hmm. pillaged, there was an argument that Netflix was potentially in trouble because yeah, the right. one thing that it didn't have, have yeah. was any original. Yeah, they're going to have to make seven Stranger Things spinoffs. Exactly. What you're describing makes it sound like this has been turned into an advantage because they have to stay hungry. Like I the, mean, they like can the make 12, we started with. 12 Squid Games if they want, but like I'm just looking at like the shows that they have right now. Number one is Bodies, which is, like I said, pretty cool. Number two, Fall the House of Usher, the last Mike Flanagan show that they're going to be making, but is... Because he moved, he's moving his deal Amazon. somewhere else. Uh-huh. Big Mouth, I Woke Up a Vampire, I guess that, that doesn't sound great. Neon, Great British Baking Show. Isn't Beckham, Neon from our buddy Shay? Yeah. Great British Breaking Show, Beckham, Pact of Silence. I don't know what that is. Surviving Paradise. I don't know what that is. Creature, which looks like there's a creature in it. So I've never heard of it like half of this stuff. I don't, I'm not seeing any like, you know, they, they have made Witcher and a couple of other things into IP, but I'm not seeing anything where it's just like, you guys loved, loved Kramer versus Kramer, right? Do- what about the, a show about the lawyer, you know? like No, or Kramer versus Kramer versus Kramer. That's right. Where here's the pitch, okay? Dustin and Meryl are getting old. They're living separately and like their health is failing. And the kid has to be drawn back home and has to care for the ailing parents. But he has to, there's some legal stuff involved. That's awesome. That's a, I, always, I, I definitely think caring for ailing parents is I, the I, thing I, I needed on top of the divorce trial. <laughs> I think you and I would love to watch show about an only child caring for aging parents. I just feel like that would really hit hit different. I love it. It is really, okay, there's a couple, we we can move on in a second, but it is kind of interesting to me that at a time when the when we were we've we quoted her about this before, Nicole Clemens from Paramount, you know, gives a speech being like, we need to make more populist entertainment. We need to stop programming. Wait, what for what the is her post. full quote? Give me a second here. Sure. Got you can it. call it up because I can just say my piece. There's something that it seems to be at a little bit cross-purposes here. Because the issue isn't about coasts. I mean, we're talking to you, we're we're broadcasting live from a city that is so outrageously expensive that most people just simply can't afford to live and work here anymore. Okay. And so I think the issue of how much money people have to spend on this stuff is not necessarily a inland versus coastal argument. Mm-hmm. But you can program for the masses as much as you want, but the masses don't want to spend seventeen ninety nine a month on nine different things. That's still fundamentally yeah. the issue here. And you know, did you know that Disney is like twenty bucks a month now? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, remember when Disney? Because this is a return to the old days when it'd be like. Good news, everyone. The Aristocats is on VHS for six weeks only yes. for $119.99. We mentioned that that our buddy Shea Serrano has a, a show, Neon, that's on Netflix. Primo, his show for Freevee, which is excellent. You put that on Netflix, that's a top 10 show. Just a, easy. It's a great show that has a very high ceiling for the potential audience for it. Right. Freevee does not have the great highest ceiling. Um, it, yeah, I mean, but Freebie is also where jur- Jury Duty is. I, I wonder what Jury Duty would have been if it had been on Netflix. Now we end up back in that in that sort of cordoned off part of the argument where we're like, well, what is the value of each of these things to the place that has them, which is so divorced from the argument of what is mm-hmm. the value of these things or how popular are these things or what the ceiling is for any of these things. But I think maybe the greatest example of what I'm trying to articulate is the current predicament of Max and you know, there's an article in IndieWire about this recently, and I think there may be more stories about this going forward, which is to say the early numbers, for as much as we have numbers on the outside of these things, suggest that maybe ending HBO Max and rebranding it as Max and welcoming in our friends from the Magnolia Network and et cetera wasn't the gigantic cash boom 
that Warner Brothers Discovery was hoping it would be. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that might be you have to drill down and be like, what is driving value for these services? Who is more likely at this point to spend however much money now that it's getting into real dollars at a time when people don't have as many of them? What is driving the subscriptions to these services? Is it people who are like, fantastic, True Detective season four, can't miss it? Or people who are like, oh, the Property Brothers are going to do something else. Right. And are those the same person? And are those the same person? And who's a more reliable way to, I mean, I, whatever. I'm not trying to segregate the value no, of the I, customer, I, but the, I'm, but the I'm max. I'm somebody who watches both, but I, or, you know, or it yeah. can, does, does watch both at, on occasion. Have I been thinking about getting back into Chopped? Yes, I have. <laughs> but I think the max, max has also suffered greatly from the strikes, right? Like, I think the inability to promote the the fact that they moved True Detective out of this. Yes, True Detective should have been on next week. I think. I think it was it was October November. It was yeah. this zone, and so that's that's tough. That that they didn't have a show basically after Winning Time is not the way that they planned it. And they didn't really. I mean, Winning Time didn't really win, so right. they they've kind of fumbled their showcase night. Right. For, or just giving up on A really, it really good year. litmus test for this mm -hmm. would be if they immediately sold the two seasons of Winning Time to Netflix and to see what happened to Winning Time on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if that show became bigger or was like a top 10 show or somehow had a second life or there was a new revival of interest in like continuing Winning Time on Netflix or something like that, I, I know that there's a bunch of studios and there's all sorts of reasons why that can or can't happen. But that would be a really good, like everything was lined up for that to be a big deal on HBO. Why was it not, and why did it? Why could it hypothetically succeed on Netflix? This creates. You just suggested something that I think would be a really interesting podcast exercise for us, which would be streaming service redraft. Winning Time is a hit on Netflix. You don't change it creatively. It's an amazing idea. It it, it is a hundred percent a hit on Netflix and greenlit for two more seasons. And I'm not even saying it would be better. I'm not saying change right, maybe anything we'll do about that on the quality. Thursday. That show does not work week to week as HBO's prestige show of the week. The, the, here's the problem with streaming show redraft. Is there anything that goes the other way? Is there anything where it's like this thing that was on Netflix or this thing that was like, is there anything that goes like, oh, that would have been great on Peacock? And isn't that the problem? Um, yes, I think, yes, I think you could do it. Like, for example, this is, if you have this in your, if anyone pauses right now, pause the podcast, Count to 10, you will think of the show I'm about to mention, and then you can press play again. Glow mm -hmm. would have finished its run and done better on a different network. Okay. Glow does not fit the prerogatives of Netflix at all. But if you put it on Peacock, if, honestly, if you put it on AMC+, Plus, if you put it on anything, I, it, I'm sure due to the size of the cast, it wasn't a cheap show. But it also was not nearly as expensive as some of the other shows that a lot of these networks mm -hmm. are making. Um, and I think it's a more complete series and it finds a different, it finds, it finds not a, a different audience, but its current audience is a sustaining one on a different service. Okay. Let's break there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Loki and lessons in chemistry. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? 
To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, buddy. I love doing dealer's choice. Which one do you want to do first? Um, I mean, I... <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to sequence this mixtape because I think we have more to say about lessons in chemistry. I think we do too. So I think we should do Loki first. Okay. Because I don't have a ton to say. I don't have a ton to say either and I don't know that this show does and I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. I just don't know that there's like a big idea in Loki this season. I think that the first season has so much to recommend about it, so much to like about it. It was dazzling to look at. I think it had like a playfulness that, a sophisticated playfulness that I don't think I had seen really in Marvel uh, films entertainment up until that point. I thought that it was powered by like these really, really, really charming performances and went to some truly heady places that I was like, this is actually like very exciting and weird. And who the hell is this? He who remains guy. And what, how is it that he is in love with the variant of himself? And like all these ideas that you just normally wouldn't get on your day to day, like Hawkeye's chasing a guy through Times Square. Um, and there's not a huge deviation this season and there are things to like about this season. And so I'm by no means like, am I like throwing this out the window, but I just don't know whether 
I really care about like the origin story of Kang um, and going back to find out how his like innocence was corrupted by, I don't know, various players. And there's something off about this season. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple things. Michael Waldron, tell us how you really feel, Challenge. Our lines are open. We, we, will, ex- we will respect your anonymity. We will not uh, report. But I, I, I'm just fascinated to know. Because, Chris, this season is a catastrophe. You think so? This show has entered the Obi-Wan zone. Of like, <laughs> are you fucking serious? This show, if you could hold it in your hands, you'd have to wring it out to get all of the flop sweat and you could fill buckets. I am stunned. I was wondering why you were giving me that look while I was like, "What? Are, there's a lot to recommend about this show. <laughs> I, I, I am stunned by the profound emptiness at the heart of this thing. And I actually would defy any member of the cast to sincerely get in front of a microphone and respect SAG rules, so don't get in front of a microphone, <laughs> respect the strike, and say, Will you? What's will your, what's will your... you be dressing as uh, Renslayer for Halloween? I thought it was Ravona. <laughs> well, the, her last name's Renslayer, but she says Miss Ravona. Look, I, nothing makes sense. What is any character's motivation for what they are doing? The show is a hastily strung together sequence of nonsense chases, the purpose of which is only to generate the next nonsense chase. People come crashing in with green swords and green exploding magic to say, no, actually, it's this. Having a cartoon clock in the first season was a charming bit of whimsy. Imbuing the charming cartoon clock with a potentially homicidal love for its evil creator is madness. Yeah, It is so desperate to find a reason for this top to keep spinning. I mean... You know, we love to do this when shows reveal what they are within themselves. And this show is a charlatan with a lot of whirring lights and machinery that signifies nothing. I will say that there, do you remember that? I, you don't remember because you didn't watch the show. There was a, on How I Met Your Mother, there was this very funny episode about um, the glass shattering moment when you're in a relationship. When mm-hmm. you find out like your significant other chews too loud and you can never unhear it. And it's kind of like shattered the like illusion yeah. that you have. And that happens with shows. Uh, there is a moment on shows sometimes where you realize, oh, only two minutes of this episode really matter. Mm-hmm. And that I, I, I'm not being nasty just towards MCU. Like that happened for me on Ozark late in the late, late in the run of Ozark. I was like, oh no, like this is just him driving back and forth across the lake to have conversations he could have on text. And then at the end of the episode, some cliffhanger happens. So I feel compelled to start the next one. Mm-hmm. And even though there are good performances in both shows or whatever, you just run out of narrative thread maybe, or you keep pushing things off so that they can be executed at later dates. And you just realize, oh, like this 45, 52 minute thing I'm watching, unless I'm really into the atmosphere, I'm really into the dialogue, I'm really into the performances. There's really not a reason why you can't watch this thing like with your eye on your phone. And I, uh, I kind of sometimes feel like they hope you are doing that with Loki because there is so much just like, we got to go over here to do this because otherwise this will happen. And Kiwi Kwan is doing a, a great job selling, but what a bunch of shit he has to say. You know, like every time they cut back to him, he's just like, the blinds won't close and we need this guy who's stuck in time and being chased by this and person. We need his but temporal also- aura. 
to fix our star loom. <laughs> yeah. Wow, guys. Really? I, I was I was glad that Wunmi Masako didn't say millions of people <laughs> are, will die. Instead, she said, we've got a real problem yeah, here. Yeah, we do Great. have a real problem. We do have a real problem. Here. I hope great, she great has stuff. like a bottle episode I, coming up. This is just like absolute, it's a tragedy. Let, let, let's also say... But now you got me fired up. I mean, but what is... So Sophie is Loki from a different timeline yeah. who killed Kang and then chose a life of happiness in 1970s McDonald's. But now, 80s, her life, yeah. now her life is ruined. So she's just popping through doors trying to stab people. But then at the end, suddenly goes all wound me and is like, I cannot kill this innocent. Right. Everyone's just soft. Just right. do it. But also, <laughs> let me say another thing here, which is... I no longer think they were cutting around Kang because this was an entire episode with Jonathan Majors. Where he plays a character named Victor Timely who mm-hmm. is, in the, is in the comics? I have no idea. Yeah, I think, I think all these names are variant names yeah. from various people and whatever, but it's not like this. You know, this is I think they the, were cutting around Jonathan Majors because he decided to, to yes. do Marlon Brando from Dr. Moreau I, up there. I, I think that separate and apart from his legal troubles, whoever he is as a person and his future in the MCU... I feel two things definitively. One, shoot or shoot. Great player, great players do wild things sometimes in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Actors, when they are told what is happening around them. Oh, it's the World's Fair. Uh-huh. And uh, you're talking to a cartoon clock that loves you. What is he supposed to do? Yeah. Get method? No. He's supposed to just do whatever the hell he wants, and which is what he did. But the second point is, you could point to a number of things as being the flaw in the next phase of the MCU. And there are many authors of disaster. But one of the most crucial mistakes was not making Kang the villain of the whole thing, not even necessarily casting Jonathan Majors. We don't know how that's going to shake out. It was introducing him on a TV show because it seems small and it seems unimportant and it seems uninteresting. If everything is flat, the way the backgrounds are flat, the way the CGI is flat, the way the emotions are flat, and your great big villain who's going to be the charismatic sun with which all this rotates around, and he's just fumbling around taking a ferry to Wisconsin <laughs> on a TV show that drops at midnight on Wednesdays, you're cooked, man. Yeah, but... You've made a mistake. Counter-argument is that they didn't even know Thanos was going to be that guy, mm-hmm. and they were just like, what if we at the end we just had like a, a big purple dude sitting in a chair... That was Joss Whedon. And it would just be a little Thanos joke for the heads. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it'd be like, oh, well, we'll cast Brolin as that. But like, is it is it really that much different it's than doing opposite. post-credit stingers? It's the opposite. The Thanos one is like, we'll just, we're, we're having fun. We're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Hey, this one sticks. This was, we have scientifically designed the thing that will stick. And we will do research to launch it at the wall at the precise scientific angle that will matter for maximum, maximum adhesion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Because they missed. They fucking missed the wall. Yeah. Wasn't even a noodle. I've lost <laughs> the metaphor. This is just, it's just... There's Sir Anthony out there. This, <laughs> just, like, just, just, just missing the zone. Yeah. Um, but throwing heat. Uh, the reason I say the Obi-Wan zone is just when something fumbles so badly. Mm-hmm. It is different than, you know... We, Pick your poison from the MCU TV shows, and they're pretty poisonous. This one stings more because I loved the first season, and all of the actors are back, and 
it shouldn't be this bad, except that it is revealing a rot that we have been tracking across multiple multiple franchises for a while now. Do you enjoy tracking it? Not anymore. Yeah. It does not it does not feel good. Yeah. It doesn't feel good and you know, we've been saying this for a while too. Like I'm I'm dreading the Marvels because I don't think it's fair that their second female-fronted movie is going to be the exemplar of why it's all going wrong. Well, maybe we should turn in our badges as sheriffs of Marvel Marvel Town. Who's going to work at the TVA if not us? <laughs> right? I know. Yeah, man. I don't know. All right. Well, Let's move to lessons in chemistry, which I don't think is like I is hardly our favorite show, but we felt a a sort of responsibility to see this one through we the did. third episode because we were so stunned by the way the second episode ended. And and if you're still listening, and if you're listening to this lessons in chemistry part, this is obviously spoilers for the entire three episodes that have aired so far. Judging by the response. The number of people listening and not watching and still listening is robust. It's high, yeah. Uh, as you know, this show, based on a novel by Bonnie Garmus, is about uh, Elizabeth Zott, a fictional chemist-turned-TV chef. We have yet to see how the TV chef thing comes to light, although can't wait. given her experiences in, in the chemistry lab, I can't blame her for a career change. But the second episode ends with the one person who truly understood the complicated Elizabeth Zott, a guy named... Calvin. Calvin Adams. Uh, he goes and walks their dog 630. Uh, his, the dog's name is 630 uh, at the end of the second episode. And 630 is like, oh, I'm, I'm playing with the leash and we're, we're just yanking on each other. Yep. And then dog's Ke- like, back up. Back up a little bit. <laughs> you bit. can't go too far. He sees De Niro in Goodfellas. <laughs> Keep going. Keep what are you, going. What are you doing, Calvin? No, there's a nice fur over there for you. One more step. And Calvin gets hit by a bus. Sure does. Um, R.I.P. There was no emergency. Dave Annabelle from Lioness was not able to operate on him. <laughs> and then the third episode opens, and we knew this going in. You know, uh, we, we, we're in constant communication with our listeners. We see what they're <laughs> saying to us. And they were like, guys, guys, wait till you see the third episode. Because we knew that in the book, mm-hmm. the dog, 630, is a narrator. It's a POV character. <laughs> guys, books are broken. And- <laughs> Go on. Can I just say, this morning, I came upon Andy. He was like, I'm, I'm at the coffee shop if you want to come get me. Because um, he doesn't <laughs> have a to. badge to get it. Uh, not because he's like a not, Dauphin or something. I'm on probation. Yeah. And I said, uh, look at this guy. Mm-hmm. He's having a cortado. I was. Half a bagel eaten. You don't need more. And he's reading a book about Rome in the summer. In the 70s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you you say books are broken, but they obviously that book was written in 1973. Okay, so when the should, last good book we was written, stopped then. Yes. Um, okay, and so episode three starts. Uh, is it called "I Got That Dog in Me"? It's not right. So episode three starts, and the first thing you hear after getting a long look at what is it? A poodle? Is it a labradoodle? I it, it it's apparently an army dog. Well, don't nope. skip ahead of me here. The sonorous tones <laughs> can't see this. of BJ Novak as the voice of 630 the dog is sounding like <laughs> <laughs> sounding like a guy with a great night at the postal service death cab show. I saw him there. <laughs> I swear to God I did. Uh-huh. 
And we get to know this dog and its origin story. Dude, it's just... And we find out is... that for some reason the United States government was training poodles to go to Vietnam. Like, what was going on? The dog is watching the mutilated bus hit corpse. And VJ Novak's voice is like, oh no. <laughs> He's kind of like record scratch. He's like, you're probably wondering how I got myself in this. The thing is, here's what I want you people to, to, to understand who are listening to us and not watching the show. The dog's first line of dialogue is, I believe, the first thing in life I remember is fear. Yeah. Guys, that's Bane's first line of dialogue. <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises. I'm not saying that there are, I'm not trying to be prescriptive. I'm not saying there are better ways to do a show that deals with traumatic loss of a romantic partner. A vehicular homicide, yeah. Through the point of view of a dog. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you are going to do it from the point of view of the dog, well, A, don't. But if you are going to do it from the point of view of the dog, I think the dog should be like, oh, shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what the dog should say. Because people... Don't he should be like Sam Jackson Brewery? <laughs> like what? What should the dog be like? My point is What's this: the note. My here's the note. If there was a human, if 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 Calvin had been going jogging with a colleague from the lab, and the colleague was like, "Oh, can you fix the tag on my sweatshirt?" and Calvin's like, "Sure, let me just hop in the street to do it," and got hit by a bus, uh -huh. the colleague wouldn't slowly turn around and be like, "The first thing I remember in my life is fear." Here's I think they should have gone. They didn't push enough, enough chips in the middle. Okay. Because one thing that's not made clear is how they... Like, was there an eyewitness who was like, I saw that dog and it was yanking on the leash and that's why your man got hit by the bus? Right. Because he's like, she just won't forgive me. And I wanted there to be like a whole like, bring dog detectives in, you know? And dog detectives trying to find out whether yes. the dog has liability. A hundred percent. Like, just let's but, get like a whole world of talking dogs. But in. what I'm not understanding is... It does appear at times during the series that the main character, Elizabeth Zott, is in, fully in on a universe where dogs are talking. Yeah. Because she's like, dog, I will be home later tonight. Yeah. I'm the leaving. food will arrive at 3 p.m. I will turn on cartoons for you. And the dog is like, sick. I love cartoons. <laughs> I no, love the dog cartoons. is like, I'm so relieved you're leaving so I don't have to be confronted with my own guilt. Yes. This dog. This dog has been to therapy. This dog has been traumatized. Let's rewind. The dog's origin story is that it was serving our nation. Yeah. In, I guess, being sent, I, I be sent to Korea? I think in a military Korea? base. I, well, I thought it was the early 60s, so I thought, I thought it was Vietnam. Wow. Well, is that's, it the late 50s? So are you saying that 630 is a conscientious objector? <laughs> 630 is like, I will not fight for this corrupt it's Quaker, war. yeah. They go down, like, I just, of all the things that I'd like to call bullshit on the show about, that dog being in the military is number one. Everything else checks out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that, they're showing the other dogs. And all those other dogs have that dog in them. They're, they're like German shepherds. This one has BJ Novak in him. And by the way, reader challenge, please someone, or just usual Photoshop ace Damon Lindelof, please give us that meme of, of the, the chest, chest x-ray with X -ray dogs in him. With BJ Novak. Just BJ Novak. Yeah. So outside of the dog, I don't really know. Who else auditioned? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Like what? Like what do you think? JGL wasn't available, right? Uh, you know, G Gordon Levitt was like, I "I'm in this other Apple show." Uh, 
Why is it? Why is it got to be that kind of guy? Why couldn't it be JB Smooth? <laughs> why, why not? It's a dog. You know what I mean? Why couldn't it be Larry David? Well, I mean, I feel like he'd like the hours. The thing that I can't get out of my head is, you know how? Actually, I'm going to stop here. You don't. You don't know this. But when you are as deep into Daddington life as I am, you know that when you watch a, say, a Disney animated classic like Frozen, you watch it and then you watch it 70 more times, but it doesn't end there. You will also watch all of the shorts that are on the Disney Plus service. You will also watch like behind the scenes, whatever footage. Yeah. And so there's Boku footage of like Kristen Bell just in the booth, you know, just dropping on a truth, you know, just, just like, just like getting it done. Okay. So what I'm asking you is, did some brave engineer just flick on the GoPro? Do we have Do we have BJ in in the booth? Because he's delivering lines like he is in a George Michael video from 1988. Like <laughs> candles are lit, lights are low. You know what I mean? Like, well, there's he, this whole thing about protect. Like he's like all I, I couldn't protect him, and it was like you weren't. Your job wasn't to protect him. Your job was just to like not put him do in. horseplay yeah. next to a, a, a bus route. Yeah. And the timeline here is a little unsacred to use Marvel terminology <laughs> because I can't, you said this last week, like, I guess the Calvin Elizabeth romance was like, what, what are we saying? Six months, nine months. I, I, I was under the impression it was four days. So, and she's yeah. had the dog for half of the time that she knew him. They were cohabitating for one to 12 days or weeks, unclear. What is their relationship, him and the dog? Like, do, do dog relationships advance on dog time? So for <laughs> so it every- takes seven years to get that, to know that, a dog. That's my point. No, no. But is it like for every week they live together, that was seven weeks for the dog? Oh, I see what you're because saying. Because the dog is like, how could I have done this? I love all of his body smells. When they ask Elizabeth Zott what she thought of him, she's like, well, I didn't know him for long enough. The dog did. Yeah. The dog did. No, go ahead. Lessons in chemistry challenge. Do you think that this show in episode three is more accurate towards the lived experience of dogs or newspaper reporters? <laughs> because at least that newspaper reporter was shooting from the hip. He was just like, I need I need controversy to sell, you know, like to get clicks. Yeah. That he literally was like <laughs> He was like, I'm trying to manufacture clickbait in my like page twenty-two obit of a little known it's, chemist. It's 1961. I am on the relatively sleepy chemistry beat yeah. for the Los Angeles Times. No, and he has a wide remit because he does an obit mm -hmm. and then he's like, I'm up here in this city planning meeting. It's true. I do. Well, that's because what's her name? The uh, Harriet was like, yeah, I, gotta, got a, I got a real story for you. I, I, I do respect the hustle he's of like, the reporter. city planning? No shit. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it is lit. I do, I do respect it because he's like, oh, seems like a guy was hit by a bus. That's a tragedy. Oh, oh, he was a chemist? Oh shit, I'm gonna blow up this whole guy's <laughs> life. I'm gonna write a hit piece. But isn't on the a problem that he, he goes to the funeral and asks questions and people are like, yeah, he was all right. Well, yeah, people are like, I didn't know him very well. Yeah. And then he goes to the ask, but also <laughs> my favorite thing, my favorite detail in the whole thing is that while he's talking to the only person in the friends and family section, which is an obviously bereaved Elizabeth Zott, he's not only is sort of pushing her on like whether she knew Calvin or not. He's also like, dogs aren't allowed here. <laughs> to be fair, 
this is way before emotional support animals, and she takes that dog everywhere. Yes, but I don't mean to be insensitive. Cemeteries are just big fields with stones in them. You know what I mean? Like, I especially... <laughs> what? They are. I'm, I'm like, what? There's no fence. There's no security guy. Where is the signage being like, don't bring your dogs? I think it's just inappropriate dogs. in a moment of mourning to she have some... She said there was a sign. Oh, I don't know. No, He's I, not, yeah. no he, wasn't, he wasn't gatekeeping from like a, <laughs> you know, a moral sensibility. He was literally gatekeeping because he claims there was a gate with a sign on it. I don't really have a lot of other observations about this show. You know, it has a talking dog, so that kind of like distracted mm. me from a lot of the other proceedings. <laughs> I did note that Harriet and Elizabeth bonded over jazz um, and dancing. I love that. Um, love that for them. That's kind of like a real... Uh, throwback to how you and I met where we just th- throw in Theolnius Monk and mm-hmm. shake it all out. Yeah. You know? uh, and the guy who plays Donati, who is also in House of Cards as the like... Derek Cecil or Cecil, yeah. Man, he plays a good shit. He does. Yeah, he's a real good shit heel. I bet he's a lovely guy yeah. in real life and he's very, very good at that. Um, you know, there's a word for a show like this. Two words. Phony baloney. It is. It's just everything about it is phony. I'm I sorry. It's so bad that we're doing Statler and Waldorf today. We're having a good time. It, look, I, I w- these two shows. That's it. That's a real contemporary reference for our listeners. Statler and Waldorf or <laughs> phony baloney. We are doing this show from 1960. We're about to ship when, off. When books were good. <laughs> when books were good and dogs fought wars. And stayed out of cemeteries <laughs> where they weren't fucking welcome. <laughs> we have fallen so far. Yeah. I can you imagine if you were a, a, a young man, yeah. a young American, drafted mm-hmm. to go to Vietnam? Yeah, and happened, you're there. Yeah. You're with your, you know, you're like, I can't believe this is my life. Like, the war is hell. And six thirty comes gallivanting off of a Huey. Yeah, to, and, to help you immediately pushes you into a landmine. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, that's my life. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Like. The work that went into this show is really high level. It's well-directed. It looks really nice. Um, but it is in the service of what a, a, a appears to be nonsense at this point. It just, a, when she finally gets upset about that's everything that's happened to her. That's why I keep asking if she's a real person. Because, it's because I'm like, what, why would you make this otherwise? What is interesting about this, what, what, you, you saw her react to grief by sledgehammering kitchen yeah and well you do watch property brothers he said so did that. uh yeah but that's that's only to make, get like more of an open floor plan get more light going through the room get more flow yeah i thought that that was she felt like that once she determined it wasn't a load-bearing counter that she thought that that would we really... didn't even talk about her pregnancy and like how she first goes about like impregnating frogs first like no i think that what she was doing was essentially a home pregnancy test okay. which didn't exist but involved uh frogs yeah um I was shocked when I found out she was pregnant. I did not see that coming. I'm not, I'm not laughing. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> what? what? Look, uh, these two shows, Loki and Lessons in Chemistry, it is... They both start with L. They both start with L. <laughs> they both were better in the 1960s. Um, it is not... It is fun. It's fun to laugh. We love to laugh. I love to laugh. We love to live, we, I'm laugh, glad we had a good chuckle. But I do think that they are emblematic of some problematic trends in television at the moment. And it is unfair to pile double down, triple down on these two in particular, Uh but they're what we have right now. And 
I think that if you were to, if you would take these two episodes, these are both episode threes. And if you were to take them, uh, put them into, uh, take them to the TVA, walk through a time door to us or anyone else 10, 12 years ago being like, well, Breaking Bad, so good. And now Netflix is going to make shows and then showed them these programs. I feel like we'd be like, maybe let's just pause. Let's just pause everything and think about what we're doing. I'm going to, so Thursday, I think we're going to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. I'd like to at least. I'd like to. Yeah. You've seen it. I've, I've seen not it. seen it. Yeah. I'm going to If Andy gets see to see it, we can, we can talk about it. I want to, I want to commit. Mm-hmm. No matter what we do on Thursday, I'm going to find us something to celebrate. Yeah. Dogs. <laughs> the Philadelphia Phillies. That's what I'm, that's really all I'm watching. Uh, um, I, it's just those things where like, a lot of meetings were held being like, so what are we going to do about the dog? And then some people were like, well, you got to do it. It's, it's everyone's favorite part of the book. You got to do the dog. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I don't think that the dog ruined the show for me. I'll wow. put it that way. Well, yeah, because I, this, is, this, is typical, this is typical Beltway, Chris. Last week, you were like, Andy, you often talk about wanting to set yourself on fire, and I don't. You may hear the sound of gasoline dripping off of me I as I that. pour it on I myself. I said that. I said this is what I want to set me yes, on fire. I know. Last I week. I don't think the dog is what did it. Oh, right. But this week you're like, well, 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 let's calm down. <laughs> no, I said I want to die watching the show, but <laughs> I didn't Jesus. think it was because of the dog. It was pre-dog. Yeah. It was pre-dog. In fact, the dog, mm-hmm. honestly, like it lit me up in a way that I haven't been in a while. You know, In terms TV. of like, is this actually... I could not believe this was happening. Yeah. I could not believe this was happening. And I... And you see the work that Asia Naomi King is doing and all the like the mourners and the and the choir and the church like giving their all and then being told as they like went to hair and makeup to get back into their civilian clothes that be like, by the way, this episode is from the perspective of a dog. Not entirely though. Yeah. So that is that your other criticism? There's not enough from the POV of the dog. Commit to the dog. All right. Thursday, we'll podcast again. Yeah. Um <laughs> I mean, unless Unless PETA stops us. I don't think we were mean about dogs. No. Do you, Kaya, do you think... Kaya, what's your interest level in the show right now? And I, by the show, I mean this podcast. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun listening to you guys talk about a show that I have no intention of you, watching. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Um, hmm. I would say about 50-50. Okay, so do you think... Are we okay? Like, we're yeah. not being mean to dogs. See, if it had been a cat, I would have just been like, of course he killed it. <laughs> like, of course this cat killed it. The cat would have left. I love cats, but you know, like they, they will push you in front of a bus. They do not care. Yeah. That's true. Uh, great seeing you. What a great time. And um, I'll see you on Netflix, brother. <laughs> yeah, let's want to share top tens, buddy? Or is it the same top ten for everyone? It's the same for everybody. Really? Yeah. Aww. Like, you can't make playlists. I mean, you, I don't think so. I'm going to make you a sick Netflix We were produced by Kai McMullen. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.